a science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're presenting stories about childhood experiments. Our first story is from Saad Sarwana. It is recorded in November 2019 at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was Outliers. I stood there quietly. My guilty conscience was making my heart beat so loud it was almost about to jump out of my chest. I was standing in the principal's office with my friends and it was possible we were about to get expelled. We had messed up. We had messed up bad. All our hard work could have been could be ruined. I only had one person to blame for this. My chemistry teacher, Mr. Jabbar. It all started a few weeks earlier. We were in our final year of high school and I was hanging out at my friend's house. Present in the room were the president and vice president of the high school math club, the vice president of the physics society, and the winners of various science awards in school. Basically, the school nerds. We were hanging around discussing how the cool kids would probably pull off a high school prank on one of their final days. Someone said, we should do one do. Why not? <laughs> We'd never done anything like this before. So we immediately started brainstorming. That's when I remembered something our chemistry teacher had told us when he was teaching us about iodine. He'd started teaching at the school about 20 years ago, and he was reminiscing that when he had started, he'd done this great demo, mixing iodine with ammonia to make these crystals. And when you step on them, they pop. It was perfectly safe, but somehow the loud noises was, causing, was too distracting for the other students. So he wasn't allowed to do it anymore. That sounded like a great idea. So we said, that's what we'll do. It's sciencey. it goes with who we are. <laughs> now this was pre-internet days, so we had no idea where to source the materials or what ratios were involved. But we did have access to this one book you could f use to find anything in the world, practically anything. You might have used it when you were younger. It's called the Yellow Pages. <laughs> so we looked under chemicals and found industrial chemical wholesale. <laughs> that sounded good. We called the number. Hey, do you carry iodine and ammonia? Sure, how much do you want? We immediately hung up. <laughs> there was no caller ID in these days. So we scouted the location. It was in the industrial area of town. And it wasn't like a storefront, so you couldn't just walk in and just check out with a barcode scanner. It was set up for business-to-business -business transactions with purchase orders. And so two kids off the street couldn't just walk in and walk out with chemicals. 
So we had to come up with a plan. We decided to go with the play dumb approach. We've, we found some stationery from a local pharmacy, which was basically just a notepad with the pharmacy letterhead on top. And we wrote in our best adult handwriting, one bottle of ammonia, one bottle of iodine. That sounded like a reasonable amount. We had no idea how much we needed. Since I was one of the more innocent looking ones in the group, I was told to go in and pick up the stuff. My hand was visibly shaking as I handled the storekeeper the paper. My dad asked me to pick this up. I was in and out in seconds. He didn't suspect a thing. Since this was a wholesale store, I had like a big gallon-sized bottle of iodine in one hand and an even larger bottle of concentrated aqueous ammonia in the other. The next day was the penultimate day of school. We all went in early and we mixed the two chemicals in a small plastic container which we got from the cafeteria using a plastic spoon. We could see the crystals being formed as we stirred the mixture. Once we had the crystals, we poured it on the asphalt blacktop. The crystals were purple, so they were completely invisible on the black background. Being scientists, we immediately tried to test it out. I stepped on it. Nothing. I stepped on it again. Nothing. We had crystals, but I couldn't hear anything. Finally, I heard a small pop as I stepped near the edge of the mixture. We must not have used enough. So we mixed the whole batch up and poured it all over the blacktop. Now this pathway connected two school buildings and is crawling with students as they walk in between buildings between classes. The way we had spread this thick layer of crystals, you couldn't get between one building to the other without stepping on it. The school bell rang, we, we went into first period. While we were in first period, the sun came out and the crystals began to dry. Imagine the loudest thunder you've ever heard, and then double it. <laughs> you still won't come close to how loud it was. <laughs> it was completely insane. It was complete pandemonium. There were bangs going off everywhere. Now that it's been a bunch of years, I tried to look up what happened, and apparently this is a very on, inter on the internet, and it's a very co common um, experiment. Ammonia reacts with iodine to form nitrogen triiodide. In the wet form, the crystals are very stable. It's only when they dry up is when they become unstable, and even the slightest contact causes a large explosion. The warnings online also say, don't use more than a gram of iodine. <laughs> We'd use the whole bottle. <laughs> kids being kids were doing what they would after the end of first period. They were stepping on it. But at this point, everything was just partially dry. So there were sections which were still wet. And the wet sections would get stuck to the bottom of people's shoes. They would then walk to a completely different part of the school. And in that section, it would dry up and suddenly in the middle of a hallway, bang! Our prank had worked. 
it had worked a little too well. Because now everyone was wondering who was responsible and trying to find out. It was pretty easy to figure it out. We were the ones with the iodine stains on our hands. <laughs> we were caught purple-handed. <laughs> so there we were in the principal's office. This was a complete outlier situation for us because we weren't really the troublemakers in the class. We were the people who went into the principal's office to get awards, not to get expelled. And she didn't really know what to do. It was the last few days of school, and we'd been good students. So she just told us, you know what you've done? What sort of example are you setting? And she gave up. And she said, I'm going to put it on your permanent record, which meant nothing. <laughs> you know, we'd already gotten into college. The only person who'd see that report card would be our parents. And we were going off to college, so we could use emotional blackmail to get around that. So we got away with it, right? I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know if the cool kids did a high school prank that year. But I do know one thing. For that last summer between the end of high school and college, we were the cool kids. <laughs> I'd gotten a few academic awards in school, but I have never been congratulated by my peers for any of them. <laughs> but after this, I had strangers come up to me and say, that was cool. <laughs> I had girls who had never even spoken to me come up to me and say, did you do that? That was awesome. One of the girls who congratulated me later went on to win an Oscar. <laughs> Technically, two Oscars. I was congratulated by an Oscar winner. <laughs> For those of you who watch Seinfeld, that's like George Costanza Marissa Tomei level. <laughs> I guess the point I'm trying to make is, if you have an opportunity to do something with no consequences, <laughs> do it you might never get that chance again. Thank you. That was Saad Sarwana. Saad is a physicist and stand-up comedian. As a physicist, he is chairman of the United States Committee for Superconductor Electronics and the author of over 40 peer-reviewed publications and two U.S. patents. As a comedian, he has done stand-up and improvisational comedy for over 20 years and even won a Moth Story Slam. For six years and over 100 episodes, Saad was on the Science Channel TV show Outrageous Acts of Science. He's previously told physics and math-inspired stories for the Story Collider, and today's chemistry-inspired story completes the trilogy. Before we move on to our next story, I want to remind everyone that we're hosting live online shows nearly every week at Story Collider. On September 18th, we will hold our third-ever online science story slam, hosted by Gastor Almonte. If you attend, you can put your name in the hat to be chosen as one of our storytellers. At every one of our slams, we have two coaches to provide feedback and help our storytellers bring out the best in their stories. This month, the coaches will be myself and Story Glider founder and former host of this podcast, Ben Lilly. 
We would love to see you there. Find out more at storycollider.org. You can also find out more about our online storytelling workshops at storycollider.org. For those who complete our intro course, we're starting to offer electives like Gastor's upcoming class on bringing out the comedic moments of your stories. Our next story today is from Andrew Akira Hansen. It was recorded in July 2019 at the Ready Room in St. Louis, Missouri. The theme that night was Toil and Trouble. Uh, I was hoping, it's unfortunate my brother's sitting in the front row of the audience right now. Uh, <laughs> so, picture it. We're in a small, cramped dorm bathroom. There are light blue tiles on the wall and the, and the floor, the same. And it is filled with the murmuring of our friends. They're gathered around us in a circle, and in the center of all that murmuring, there is this escalating arpeggio of laughter from two giggling fools. Um, e and I are staring at each other through big goggled eyes with wild grins as we start to, you know, just sprinkle in these crystals into this water-like substance and slowly, just as we planned it, this blood-red substance starts to bead at the bottom and it moves differently uh, than the water above it. It's thicker, it's denser, it's heavier. This is bromine. One of my, I think it was related to chlorine actually, but my, one of my chemical, one of my greatest, uh, analytical professors, uh, mentors once told me that he loves bromine because bromine moves like water, but it hits like iron. And it is, it's a little reactive. And as it, as it, um, as we made it, E and I were just ecstatic. We were giggly, like, ah! Because as we swirled it around, this blood red liquid moved slower than the water and it, and it twirled with it without mixing. And there was this silvery mirror, a phase boundary between the water and the bromine that separated it. We had done everything right and we were so excited. But slowly but surely that very defined boundary between the bromine and the water started to grow hazy. Because we had made a miscalculation. Bromine, as it turns out, dissolves into water. So we, uh, we set it aside for later. We still chalked it up as a success, but we decided to seal it up and store it in E's bedroom in the cabinet uh, next to his clothes, and we were going to come back to it. There's no problems. Uh, not at all. Because this semester was awesome. E and I were in organic chemistry, one of the most notorious weed-out classes for a, a chemical major, and we loved it. We had this professor, we'll call her Professor Oak, and she, something about the way she put it just clicked for us. She took all of these complex terms, symbols, trends, exceptions, and niche what's-its, and seemingly by an act of transmutation, she gave E and I a peek into what it is to fundamentally understand the chemical world. Oh, it was it was electrifying, and that that mo that motivated us to uh, start experimenting outside of class, outside of lab. 
and um, in dorm bathrooms and parking lots, you know, wherever there was space. And we, we, we were adamant that we weren't going to steal any chemicals from the lab or any glassware. We had an ethos. Uh, we were, <laughs> everything that we had, we were going to acquire from consumer goods. We were engineer our own experimental setups because the old masters that we admired so deeply, this is what they had done. They had figured it out on their own. They took fundamental principles and they ran them as far as we could, they could. And that's what we wanted to do because we thought we got it. We thought that's what Professor Oak wanted us to pick up. And so with bleach, ammonia, drain cleaners, root killers, you can do a lot of things. Uh, and um, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And as we, we weren't shy about this knowledge either. Uh, and one of the most boggling things about the story is that we, every day after class in organic chemistry, we would go up to Professor Oak and we'd be like, Professor Oak, that lecture was amazing. The way the mechanism, the electrons moving like this, like this, oh, so cool. What do you think about this? What if we mix this with this? What do you think might happen? And um, so I was working on a final for ancient Egyptian warfare. Uh, I was writing a paper. I had 45 minutes left. I was going against the line, but I had hit my groove. I was going to make it. And I got a call, several calls. They double tapped me. I hung up the first time uh, from the, the campus administration. And I was told to promptly march down to the dean of students' office, and they wouldn't tell me why. I was like, really? I, I got like a paper I got to finish. And like, you will come now. And I was like, OK. So I walked, and I was like, what the hell? You know, what's going on? And as soon as I walked into this small, dusty, overcrowded office, I saw E sitting there, and our eyes met, and our brains rapidly started connecting the dots. Um, we figured we were here for our out of lab experimentation, but we didn't know how we got here. Um, because no one got hurt, there were no campus safety reports, uh, and all of our friends we trusted. So we were like, ah, crap, did they tell someone and they accidentally blabbed it on, like that chain of things? And so he and I were looking at each other, and because I often have a little bit more audacity than him, I. I turned to the dean, the associate dean of students, and I was like, um, why are we here? And her face bloated like a toad's, and her eyes bulged, and she croaked at us, oh, you'll find out. And just, just like, like a freaking movie, like just after that, like my vision panned to the right to the door behind her, and in walks Professor Oak. And, um, it, things start to get a little hazy for me here. I, uh, I, I dimly remember the associate dean reading off this laundry list of things and charges that, that were going to be brought against us. This was a post 9-11 world with a hint of chemophobia, and they can throw a lot of things at a 20-year-old student. <laughs> and I, in retrospect, that was quite terrifying. Um, but the way my brain is set up is that I, I deeply, deeply respect my mentors and people that I admire. And so as Professor Oak sat across from us in silence, 
staring at us. I felt her coal eyes just burning into me. I didn't even feel betrayal. You know, a lot of people have asked me that, like, oh, your professor that you trusted turned you in. Don't, aren't you mad about that? No, I'm not set up like that. All I felt was shame. And um, the next day, E and I found ourselves in a dark room, sitting small at the other end of a polished wood table with a dean of students, the campus administration, and all of our chemistry professors sitting across from us. And again, I had drawn lots and had gotten to speak our part. And I was just finishing up. I was, ah, you know, we, we didn't mean to cause any trouble or scare anyone. Uh, we're very thankful and lucky that no one got hurt. And we're sorry. And without skipping a beat, the dean of students, who kind of looks like a cross between evil Spock and Professor X, just jumped right in, and he was like, you're right, Andrew, you are lucky, and you are stupid. That's why we're suspending you indefinitely. Oh, I'm the good son. That's not, that's not how it's supposed to go. And um, I, I, dim, I, I have this sort of moment where I'm standing outside of myself watching it take place like a movie as I lead the hazmat teams into E's bedroom to the closet to take our chemical stash. And all of our friends that had previously been gathered around us laughing with excitement as we showed them why we love chemistry were now staring in horror. Um, as it would turn out, the operative term in indefinite suspension would be indefinite, as in undefined, as in whenever the campus administration had deemed we had learned our lesson, we could come back. And so whilst, dodging, whilst engaged in the extreme sport of dodging parental aggression caused by my unplanned life changes, uh, like, hey, Dad, can you pass the salt? I don't know, Andrew, you're going to blow up the building with it? It, it uh, you know, you kind of have to take that in stride. Um, and I, so I, we wrote apologies and we got let back in. But I still had to talk to Professor Oak. Professor Oak was, after all, my faculty advisor. And uh, the next couple of years of college would be pretty awkward if I couldn't look her in the eye or ever speak to her again. So uh, I did what every boy should do whenever they have something important to say to somebody they respect, and I asked her to coffee. And uh, in that meeting, she, um, she cut the crap. She got right to the point. I wanted to go in blubbering, apologizing. Oh, please, 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 you know, I'm so sorry. She's like, Andrew, I know you're sorry, and I forgive you. What we're here for is to talk about why I turned you in. Do you understand? She's always a teacher. Because I, I, uh, what I did was dangerous. Yes, but do you understand why I'm mad at you? No. It's because what you and E said you were doing was research. And it wasn't. You had no question. You had no focus. You weren't even following the scientific method. That, that is, you took all of the power and knowledge that I had given you, and you had misused it. God, that hit right home. A. I was right, she did understand us, but she was also right. And she's like, do you know 
how I know what you did was dangerous? Do you know how I know what the hazard of brominated water in a dorm room is? Do you know what happens when it comes into contact with something like aluminum foil? Uh, No, no, I don't. It explodes, Andrew. And it explodes not just in a normal fireball. It explodes in a purple witch fire that sends, that spews acidic and toxic, uh, fumes and liquids all around it. And in that dorm room bathroom that you had decided to do your experiment in, thinking that maybe the ventilation of the bathroom might help you, dorm room bathrooms circulate. They don't take air outside of the building. They just push it into the next bathroom. If you had fucked up at all, some innocent person would have gotten doused with chlorine or bromine. And your goal, as noble as it might have been, to try and show the world why it was that you love science, why you love chemistry and the power of it, it was too broad. Somebody could have gotten hurt. Do you think it was worth the risk? I didn't. She had me. She had, and, and she hit me. It wasn't fair because she showed me that, A, she had done exactly the experiment she had kicked me out of college for. Um, and B, here she was, still mad at me. As... And as time goes on, I've told this story plenty of times to my various chemical masters, and some of them have waved it off like, you got kicked out of school for basically making special bleach. Well, here's what I did. And, um, you know, and I, I always defend her because what she saw in me is that passion, is that fire. And that fire needed to be tempered, and the only way to temper that was by understanding how much I cared about those around me. As I go on in my chemical career, and I did go on in my chemical career, this is not, this is not the last time I'd have a spot of trouble in chemistry. There's a, a long history of that, a lot of different stories for various ways that I have messed up and not done exactly what the book says you should do. But my head, though it is bloody, it is unbowed. And I move from each failure with undiminished enthusiasm. Because there is no greater teacher than trouble. Thank you. That was Andrew Akira Hansen. Andrew is an external chemist and a boy who finds himself falling more and more deeply in love with the natural world as he survives each day. Chemistry is the language he's learned to love it with. After finishing his bachelor's degree at Knox College, he messed around in Southern Illinois University Edwardsville's master's program for chemistry. From there, he's worked a variety of chemistry-adjacent jobs he never imagined he'd find himself in, including space camp instructor, beer scientist, and slime master. Not all official titles. His path in chemistry has been winding, and he can't wait to see where it takes him. We're so grateful to Saad and Andrew for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, with help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Paula Croxon, Zach Stovall, Emma Young, and Eli Chen. The podcast is edited by our podcast team, including Jun Chen and Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. 
Special thanks to Caveat and the Ready Room for hosting these shows, and to teachers for having the patience to deal with these inquiring young minds. Thanks for listening. 